Welcome to Never Before. I'm your host, Janet Mock. The true genius of the internet is its creators. I get my entire life from the nonstop stream of content created by folk of color. The memes, the ideas, the throwbacks, the characters. Today's guest created one of my all-time fave internet characters ever. Brandon Miller is the man behind Joanne the Scammer, my favorite Caucasian, if there ever was one. With her fur coat, her black slip dress, her heavily rooted blonde wig, her five o'clock shadow, and killer wit and reads, Joanne the Scammer is a messy bitch who lives for drama. But who's the person behind Joanne? That's the goal of today's conversation. Brandon Miller is a performance artist who plays with gender and race in an effort to challenge constructs and ultimately knock them down. Brandon is a Black and Latino man from the South who didn't know he was a person of color or adopted until he was 17. This revelation led Brandon to experiment with his identity as a teen. His gender and race play eventually became a pathway for internet notoriety. Joanne the Scammer calls herself Caucasian, and her main activity is scamming men. She puts the con in iconic and enjoys being problematic, hypercritical, and superficial. Being petty is her playground and has attracted three million followers. And if that sounds like it could get a little problematic, it does. And we go there in our conversation in which Brandon discusses how he deals with the criticism, including being called transphobic and racist. Brandon showed up to our interview wearing Joanne's famous fur coat. So we begin by dipping a little into the Joanne character, but then we go way back, digging much deeper into his journey. You're here. I am here. <laughs> you just landed this morning. Yep. And you're in New York City with me. Yep. In the stude. And yep. we're going to have a conversation about your amazing characters, specifically, of course, Joanne, Yay. the scammer. And you have your fur coat on. Yes. Yep. Yep. Is that like your safety blanket? Uh, yeah. I feel like anytime I do something Joanne related, I wear the coat. What does the coat provide for you? I like to be in somewhat character, even though I'm not in character right now. I, I like to feel as if she's here mm -hmm. in some way. How would you describe Joanne? No, actually, how would Joanne describe herself? And then I want to hear about <sighs> who you think Joanne is. Well, Joanne thinks that she is a part of the whites. And I think that she thinks that she is um, literally on their level. But but the joke is she's not. And it's, it's so clear that she's not. You've arrived. Finally. Welcome to my Caucasian home. Come inside. These are Malaysian bamboo floors. Yes. This is my house. This is how I live. She thinks she's glamorous. She thinks she's... um. Friends with Kirstie Alley. Um, what Kirstie Alley? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I think I, I think when you reference like someone old like Kirstie mm. Alley, it's just naturally funny. Excuse me, I'm on the phone with Kirstie Alley. If that means anything in this town anymore, Kirstie, I'm gonna have to call you back. It's almost like Joanne sees herself as an older white, white woman, woman who is established, yes. and she's like, "I have Cheers money, mind you. Yes. You know, like I am not someone that yeah. has just just came up." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think. When I when I made the whole Caucasian thing up with her, I thought about who who is like the epitome of like Caucasian and just like rich to me to me, mm -hmm. and then I found out that Kirstie Alley was in Maine and it doesn't get mm -hmm. any more Caucasian than Maine, mm -hmm. so I'm like that's my best friend. Why and and I just ran with it. But I think that she's delusional, Joanne, and I think that she's just a train wreck, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes it funny. 
I love her pettiness in the sense of when she's talking to her, when Joanne is talking to her ex-boyfriend, who obviously doesn't want anything to do with her anymore. He's moved on with another woman. She's obsessed about it. And she's just like, but look at me. I'm living like a Caucasian now. (laughs) It is 9 p.m. and I am watching Law & Order SVU just like a Caucasian. It just dawned on me that I think you're so disrespectful to ask me who am I throwing my pussy at because, well, when you had it, you couldn't keep it. You wanted to go put your dick in that bitch. Every night at 1230 and hurt my goddamn feelings. Well, now I'm single and, um, well, look, I have upgraded my lifestyle. I am living like a Caucasian. Girl, it's 930 now. I'm watching Law and Order SVU, just like a Caucasian. And what I meant by that was Caucasian is the, the superior. And that's what Joanne thinks. But I think as a black person, you get the joke because mm. it's <laughs> like black people are always like, you know, if, if they move in a white neighborhood, they're like, we're with the Caucasians now or we're we're living, you know, like the Cauc. So that's what I meant. So for you, you you kind of, you know, just backing up just a little bit, you left home and you, yes. you stayed with friends, a lot of trans friends, mm-hmm. a lot of trans women. And obviously your character, Joanne Prada, came out of that space or at least was informed by the women you were living and hanging out with. Yes. My, my father died. What year did he die? 2003, which made me like 12, I guess. And then I went to school, and I, um, right when he died, I entered middle school. It was really rough for me. I was really popular. All the girls liked me and all that, but I just, I I didn't feel into them. And I didn't Mm -hmm. feel into guys either, though. All I knew was I was just kind of like in limbo as myself, as Brandon. And then I quit school at eighth Mm -hmm. grade because my friend did. Her name was Raquel. Um, Mm. We moved into one of her friends' house, who was a trans woman. And that is where I became Victoria. I Mm. lived my life literally for like a year. I called myself Victoria. Mm. And I didn't say I was trans. I didn't say I was a woman. I just, I didn't say I was a man. I just said I was Victoria. And that's how I want to live my life. And that's how it is. What did Victoria provide for you, living as Victoria? I found that I was less insecure. I was not shy at all. I could look people in the eyes Mm. for longer periods of time than five seconds. I've gotten better with that over time. But even at Joanne, I can like, I'm a different person. So, so I found that like, I'm stronger and I'm like, and, and I found that, oh shit, this is like an outlet for me to like, kind of mask myself maybe which isn't good in the long run Mm. but at the time only thing i knew was shut down and create someone else i don't want to be myself Mm. i just remember my family being so uneasy with it so they were uncomfortable with victoria and Mm -hmm. i'm sure they they probably thought all these things about like what victoria means for your body and your sexuality and what this will then communicate to the world because i just think about when i started transitioning and playing with gender as you know at 12 years old my mom was she there are a couple like times where she just kind of like looked at me like what is going on you're starting to hang out these trans girls you know parents then they get worried and they think about all kinds of things Mm -hmm. right and scared about the ways in which the world is going to likely treat you yep but for you you were not even seeing yourself you didn't see victoria as trans you saw victoria more as you were living as someone else for a while yeah you're how old at this time 16 and your your friend Raquel, is she a trans girl? She's trans, yes. Okay. Yes. She's kind of went through what I went through. Like like she's she's done the same thing, but she's now Raquel again. She's been back and forth because her family is really pro- problematic as mm-hmm. well and they just can confuse you. But she's also went into the territory of like 
going into hormones, which mm-hmm. I didn't have the privilege of because my mom moved me away mm-hmm. before that started. Yeah. I did talk to her about that, and she was like, before we get to that point and before I lose my son, I'm going to move you to Florida. So I moved huh. to Florida, and I, I didn't have any friends, and I just I was forced back into myself, which created um, Miss Prada, mm-hmm. which was... Um, I'm using it for comedy, which mm. I found still helped me. I find that, oh, I don't have to like live like this. I could just cut it on and off. Mm. Were you thinking at the time, because you said you used the language of you didn't have the privilege of being able to go on hormones like mm-hmm. Raquel was. Yeah. So you wanted to go on hormones. It's was not a- even that I wanted to. It was just more so, all right, if, if I'm going to live like this. Got it. Let me, I just want to go full into that. Um, I just didn't. Yeah. And so now you're... You're in Florida from Virginia, and you find Joanne Prada, which offers you a gateway to be able to express your femininity yeah. in this character in a whole other way. Same way, exactly. It just did exactly the same thing for me, only was I was being funny now mm-hmm. and trying to uplift others. Obviously, they often say that comedy comes out of one's own experience or sometimes the painful things that you have to make fun of. Yeah. And so you are adopted. Mm-hmm. You didn't learn that you were adopted until you were 17? It was right when I moved to Florida after I stopped the Victoria. Mm. And then they told me I was adopted. And you were adopted by white parents. Uh-huh. And you believed or you thought you were white. I did. Because my dad was Indian, but he was white. Mm. You know, like white people would be like, I'm Indian. He's white. And he just looked Indian. And my mom was physically, like, literally white. And, you know, they got me from birth, basically. Mm. Um, so I grew up thinking I was white. I just thought that, like, I was I was in the sun too much. My family has two biological children, and then they have two adopted. And I thought... <laughs> I thought that my sister was the one that was adopted, and I was with the whites. And she's colored like me, so mm-hmm. it was just like, you know, and I would go to school, and I would tell people, no, I'm actually white. i tell my black friends, I'm white. I would say, you're just mad, or, you know, you you don't understand because you have a black parent. You So you just wouldn't get it. You know, I, and, I mean, it's weird because I've been in, a, like, my, my, my white family would be racist and all this weird shit. And then to find out that I'm adopted, it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, you're talking about me. Mm-hmm. You're talking about me. You know, you learn about a lot. And I, and I think that's where the whole Caucasian thing even came from. Because I've learned that everything I do that I've done on the Internet in some type of way has been from my life. You mm-hmm. know, like even with the Miss Prada, it came from me living with um, these type of people at one point. I, I guess I was a reflection of that. Or like I said, with the Caucasian, that was deeply a part of my life. And so then you learn that you're adopted, and then you also learn about your parents, and your parent, your birth parents are black and Puerto Rican? All I know is my dad, they gave me sheets on them. My dad literally had his height and his color, so I know he's tall and black. And my mom was, um, I think she was like a combination of things, but I'm a black person. Mm. Um she was Italian and like Puerto Rican and like she was a mm. much. Mm. So then I learned, oh shit, I'm not even white. I am, I'm fucking so far away from it. I am black. 
So you're Brandon, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You're Brandon. You're solidly Brandon. Now you're you're no longer hiding or spending most of your life as Victoria. And now you have Joanne. That's a character. You know, now you're older and wiser. You can look back on your teenage self and see yeah. the Victoria space where you're thinking about almost transitioning in a sense, mm-hmm. but not necessarily having language to say that you are trans. Mm-hmm. And then to say that you're Brandon and Brandon now creates these characters. What are the lines for you between... Because now you can look back and... Yeah. Okay. I think it's easier because I can just take it off. Mm. And I was saying that that's what I think that people hate about it, though, is that it's so easy for me to transition back into a cisgender Mm. male or whatever they want to call it. You know, and for them, that's not so easy. And I think there probably is a sense of um, uneasiness, I guess, from trans folk... Specifically trans women, I I would assume, the sense of you're playing this character that some people may read as trans. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Joanne, in my reading of Joanne, that she identifies as trans. No, I I wouldn't call it trans. I would just call it a, I think Joanne thinks that she's a middle-aged white woman. Mm. But she's just a mess who's not really supposed to be taken seriously at all. What was the evolution between Joanne Prada... And Joanne the Scammer, how did you see that mapping itself kind of out? I was playing the character, and then I I got into drugs, hardcore. And one of the drugs was MDNA. Yeah, I overdosed. And um, and then I had I had a chance to to sit with myself um, for a long time. And I think somewhere within that time, I evolved the character, or, or my humor in general. And I said, when I come back, I feel like, oh... I was telling all my friends, if I do comedy again, I feel like I'll be famous because my humor evolved so much at the time that it was just bound to happen, you know? So when I when I did come back, which was like two years after the overdose, I, I grew as a person. I grew artistically. When was the first time that you realized that people were upset with your characters? I went to the VMAs and, and I— that was last year? Yeah. That's when I saw them try to turn it against me. I was at one point the people's choice, mm-hmm. and the same people that were praising me at one point were now bashing me. I remember thinking, oh, fuck, this is supposed to be the happiest night of my life because, like, I, I made it here off of, like, how the fuck did I even make it here? Which is a rise. I remember seeing you, like— literally a scam. —on Instagram stories and <laughs> seeing you out there on the red carpet, like, reporting live, like, Joanne—well, not you, but Joanne, Joanne. the scammer. Finally, I've made it to New York. Honestly. Truly, I'm here. I'm here. And I am right in front of the VMAs. Give me one hour, and I promise you, I promise you, I will be inside. I have Snapchat. I'm going to be taking over Snapchat. I'm going to be on the red carpet looking glamorous. And I will be the shit tonight. Also, you do comedy, right? Mm -hmm. Like this Joanne, um, the scammer, and even Joanne Prada, they are comedic characters and for you what is there a line for you as a comedian between going too far or not too far or now there is it's it stopped me from even like like you said you saw me like the whole rise to join i was doing so much stuff but you were producing so much i noticed i was like yeah but then i saw a post on tumblr that said brandon is transphobic and had ten thousand notes i cried had nightmares i had dreams of like people running down the street chasing me because I kept like replaying it in my head because I'm my own worst critic Mm. and I will look for bad comments because sometimes I I believe the bad comments are like you know could be true maybe I need some critique or whatever and then I was depressed because I'm around all these people who are telling me don't say nothing 
don't. You can't. So I'm like, oh, shit. So I couldn't even take up for myself. And I'm like, oh, guys, please don't do this. You know, I know so many people out there who are actually transphobic. I have been doing this for like almost 10 years now with the whole drag thing. I've, I'm not transphobic. And it's so it's just irritating, you know. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like people are so offended nowadays and they want to be offended. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because of the president. I don't know. But, yeah, that's why I stopped. I, I, it, you can't be creative when you're when you're constantly being hated. And then I'm one of these people who who can't even supply it if I'm being hated in any way. I'm mm-hmm. just like, it's okay. I'll stop. You know, they want me to stop. So I've, I've contemplated creating another character because I don't even know if I want to be joining the scammer because it's like I'm hated so much in the trans world because they think I'm joking about them. So I wonder if there's a piece of it, too, that sees the sense of you get to put on this character, this costume that resembles some trans women in a sense, right? Or some people read as tra- as a trans woman in some way and is being lauded and has attention and followers and gets to share space with, like, Katy Perry and Solange and Black China and Amber Rose, and they're like, but a trans woman is not able to have access to that same kind of space. I don't think of it like that. Only because I feel like if I feel like with me, what I do, I leave the beard there to to remind you that mm. that like this is an act. I'm a gay man. I feel like if anything is transphobic, it'd be like drag race because they're literally impersonating women. So it's like that'd be considered transphobic before me. I am. I'm visibly a man. I I leave the hairy legs. I leave the beard. I leave the mustache. I'm like visibly a man. You but know? it seems you're using dressing up in quote unquote women's clothes or uh-huh. dressing up as a woman, gender yeah. bedding as comedy. And so for you, what about that is funny? Funny. I don't look at me dressing as a woman as funny because it's really about um, empowering women. Really, I always say like only help women. Only scam men are like, um, you know, <laughs> stuff is, like that. Yeah. I don't I don't think the whole me getting in character is funny. Mm. Um, I think the shit I say is funny. Like, I want to be a Caucasian. That shit's funny. I'm not. Or like um, using nine identities um, are like, <laughs> you know, some of the shit that I say are, are like, you know, what it is for me is, you know, getting in female clothes, like I said with Victoria, is I feel more confident with myself, mm. which gives me the platform to go out there and even and even be secure because mm-hmm. Joanne gives me the confidence and then I can um, apply the comedy once I'm out there. Beyond just the sense of celebrities finding Joanne, because it wasn't just that, it also has to, she has to resonate with people. What do you think her character and her being was resonating to women, to people online, to people of color? What was she, what, what was she speaking to them that was making them be like, yes, this? It was, it was the scamming at first. That's what started it. People just felt tired. They felt like just, yeah, fuck that. I'm going to fuck a bitch over today. And I felt like um, I was that spokesperson for fuck a bitch over today. And I felt like there's a lot of people who can't say that, maybe of their position, maybe they're just way too shy. So I felt like I was this, like, bitch who owned up to, like, lying and shit, who just, I guess I guess that means a lot of people are really messy, <laughs> you know, wanted to live vicariously <laughs> through me. And I think if it wasn't for Black China and Amber Rose even mm. using me. Like, Black China used me in a way to reference her life. Interesting. Yeah. She, you know, she was going through that that Rob Kardashian thing, and she put up my video which said, I'm a liar, I'm a scammer, I'm a messy bitch who lives for drama. Hey, girl, I just wanted to let you girls know that I'm a real messy bitch. I'm a messy bitch who lives for drama. But that was the shine for me. That's how mm. I got put on. 
That's amazing that these two black women who had such huge social media presences were able to kind of find some kind of semblance in this character (laughs) from you in a a way that then led you to kind of also then have this approximation to fame. And so then Joanne the Scammer becomes someone that is almost a celebrity in of herself just by being put on by a celebrity or celebrities. Mm -hmm. By association. So when you were in it, what did it feel like? Um... Really good. <laughs> like, were you at home in your apartment in Daytona Beach and you're just like, oh, shit. Like, what's the alert that you get that that they've posted this up, that Black China posts this? You know, honestly, I wasn't shocked because I feel like more of an artist than they are. I just feel like, um, honestly, I feel like, I, I mean, I obviously love them. And I, I just feel like I am um, more special. They just have more money. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I would just more so like, thank you. Thank you for, because, for, for, you know, I actually emailed Black China. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I told her, I was like, you know, I'm so sure that I'm a star. I just don't know who's going to be the one to to help. And and she read it the same day and she and she uploaded the video. Like, I think it was the same day. So wow. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. I emailed her this long thing. And I was like, I need someone to notice me. I am like, you know, I haven't. I said, I, I will not do you wrong if you do this. And I didn't. Why did you choose Black China? I felt like. Black China had um, this type of, like, she was in the Kardashians. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, like, at the time, where else do you go? I mean, that's it. And, I mean, everyone's talking about her. It's, it's like, she was the go-to, I feel like. You know, mm-hmm. something in, in me just kind of just write her this message. There is a sense of, like, there's this unapologetic badness and problematicness about Joanne that a lot of people in a world where we're afraid of being called out and afraid of being called problematic, that they find a semblance of kind of joy Mm -hmm. in Joanne. But you as a person have um, used term, you said depressed Mm -hmm. after being called problematic. Well, yeah, like, like actually problematic or like actually transphobic Mm. or actually a racist you know, that shit is hurtful because I wouldn't even waste my time trying to make you laugh. I know what my 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 goal is. So I'm like, fuck, if I know I'm so pure and I'm so humble, I'm I'm so this, I'm so that. Why don't you why can't you see that? Why why do you think I'm mean or why do you think I'm transphobic? That's not who mm-hmm. I am. And that, you know, it just hurts. Especially when fucking ten thousand people. Um, I think it's great that you are you're addressing it and that you take the criticism seriously. I'm sure your your thoughts around trans issues and politics have been enlightened because of this critique in some way. Um, but I think a lot of people probably don't understand the roots at which you began. Yeah, these they don't. Characters. They don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm being criticized about everything, you know. And that was another reason why I didn't want to talk about or I couldn't speak up because if I was if I was going to come out and say that I'm not transphobic I would also have to say I'm not racist and I'm not Mm, this and I'm not that mm. so I I didn't even want to like say one and not the other I was called like 90 things some shit I can't even pronounce and I I didn't want to do one and not the other that looks Mm. tacky and I'm just like I'm not though I heard you're also selling get out of my Caucasian house doormats yeah and 50% of the proceeds are going to ACLU yep is Joanne the scammer anti-Trump I created this Caucasian era for Joanne, right? Mm. And then Donald Trump won. So after he won, it wasn't even funny hmm. to say, oh, I'm Caucasian. Because mm. it was hurting me to know that 
all the shit that I'm talking about, Joanne, you know, making fun of the black, that's my reality now. So to have to play a white person in in the middle of of Trump winning and all that happening is it was really scary. And it wasn't funny. And I felt like it wouldn't be cool at all. So I think um no, I wouldn't say that I am or Joanne is either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where is Joanne right now? Oh, I'm writing a Netflix show for her. Well, actually, I'm not writing it. Someone from Netflix is writing it. Mm-hmm. He's a really great writer. Um, and that's what I'm focusing on. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I wanted... So you're starring in it? Yes. I, yeah. I'm well, gonna... there's no Joanne without your body, so in your sense of everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, my plan is to, to do that and to, to do whatever else. You know, the sky's the limit. And what's the premise? Well, all right, I have the, if you know Joanne on Instagram, they're like little snippets into her life, I guess, compared to the, the show would be, all right, so the Instagram, you have this right in the middle of the scam, right? You know, so I'm capturing that. Like, Instagram gives you one minute of that. Mm. The show will have the whole storyline. So it'd be her, like, mapping out, plotting, and mm-hmm. then executing the scam, and then communicating her success on the scams. Yeah, I think right now, I think what so we So is have... it like a sitcom? Well, we're trying to do that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even speak far ahead because I don't even know. All I know is that I think we start off with her, with her being married to this rich, white, older guy, or maybe mm. he's, like, not even older, and he drops her. So she tries to get to that place again of um, of Caucasian and what and what she whatever she thinks it is. Are you able to enjoy the the sweet smell of success? No, no. My mom's dying of cancer. Oh no, I'm sorry. Oh no, she'll be gone soon. I and I I have had to support them financially for like a couple of months. Um, I've stopped Joanne for a while um, because of all the hate. It's just a lot. So I, I you know I think for a couple of months I I enjoyed it. But it's it's really hard. So what keeps you going? What keeps you going? Um, I every, every actually every day I wake up I'm like you know this is very long. The thought of like mm. living to be like long is just like kind of overwhelming. <laughs> I, I I just kind of um just living. I'm just living. Yeah, I told someone last night I said I, I'm I'm just killing time. <laughs> I don't think so. You seem like you've you know. You had a plan for Joanne the scammer. You knew that she was something, and you then reached out to someone to say that this. This bitch is going to be famous. Oh, yeah. So you need to get on this now. But but, but like I say, you know, hatred can become, and I'm not saying I'm stopping. I, I just feel like hatred can become uninspiring. Mm-hmm. And um, if you look at all the shit that I've been said about, and, and it's just a lot with the character. that I, Also mistakes I've made. Um, but what keeps me going? I don't know. I guess I don't think about what keeps me going. What keeps you going? I think for me, what keeps me going, I love telling stories. Okay. So that keeps me going. I feel like there is something in the power of telling a really good story that can either entertain, inspire, inform, make someone feel good. Um, I think that a lot of your work does do that. I I do think that some of the roots of it, you know, triggered some people who have their own stuff, which is rightfully so, which I completely understand. But I don't think, I don't think people want you to go away. Um, So I hope that you continue to to do this work and and lean fully into this character and figure out ways to use the criticism as a means to make her even problematic in other ways, yeah. I guess. But you know, the like... problem is with me, though, is uh, that, that I find I don't want the fame. And a lot of people want that. Mm. So I'm I'm really quiet. And I, and, I, and I come when I feel like I need to come. Mm. Um, so 
I'm just different, I guess. I don't I don't want all that. You know, I want to do Joanne when I want to do it, but I just want to live my life as well. Yeah. You know, just private, just quiet. Well, I hope that you're able to find that private self-care space for you. I hope. Yeah, well, I, I, I have it, yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for Yay. being here. Thank and you. Doing it was this so good. Like, I think that this was really good. I hope yeah. so. Yes, I hope it was a good experience for you. You know, I, I hope that these conversations are spaces where, where we can share parts of our journey and learn about where our creations come from and, you know, the ways in which, you know, we make mistakes in public because we do work in public and that's yep. just a part of it. And so we just have to keep on going on and, you know, be more informed as we're, as we're pushing forward without stomping down our creativity and all that good stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Brandon. Well, thank you, Janet. <laughs> Never Before is a product of Pineapple Street Media and Lenny Letter. It was produced by Jenna Weiss-Berman, Ricky Novetsky, Josh Gwynn, Liz Watson, and Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Lena Dunham. Special thanks to Max Linsky and Ben Cooley. Our music is by Hansdell Sue. Now here's Lena Dunham, my executive producer, to give you a little hint about next week's guest. Wise, thoughtful, keeps it extremely real. Thank you so much for listening.